This week's podcast is sponsored by the book, Glory Lost and Found, How Delta Climbed from Despair to Dominance in the Post-9-11 Era. It's Delta's inspirational turnaround story, written by the editors of Airline Weekly. Lively and informative, just like this podcast. Available in hardcover, paperback, Kindle, and audiobook formats. Hop on Amazon.com and search Delta Book. Woo! Earning season is pretty much over, and in the marbled halls of Airline Weekly, that means we can all rest easy. I've noticed people spending more time enjoying the swans in the reflecting pool on the East Lawn. I've noticed some employees getting happily lost in the hedge maze on the other side of the campus. I see bocce being played. I see... Uh, Jason, let's get back to reality here. Okay, well, that may not be reality, but it is a realistic depiction of my mood, and with that... Can you guess which airline we're going to start the show with? Uh, Why don't you just tell me? The answer, of course, is EasyJet, which, despite its name, is probably one of the most industrious airlines out there with their short-haul approach and high utilization rate. They might be lagging Ryanair and Wizz Air, but they are one of the best-performing airlines in Europe right now. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly. And I'm Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're starting the show with EasyJet, then we'll check in on the continuing comeback of Latam and Avianca. Delta and JetBlue are battling in Boston, plus a whole lot more. It's all coming up in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. EasyJet turned in a pretty good six months earnings report. From April through September, the airline posted a solid 20% operating profit margin. As I mentioned, that's not as good as Ryan or Wizz Air, but it's still among the leaders in Europe. Yeah, and among the better ones in the world. Yeah, so that 20% compares to 34% for Ryanair and 27% for Wizz Air. Now, that's for that whole six-month period. EasyJet, you see, doesn't report quarterly. Uh, so we went ahead and put those two quarters together so that we could get a, a good apples to apples uh, for comparison there. But um, yeah, you know, even if you look around the world at uh, um, other airlines doing well, or even those in Europe, you know, we've talked in the past about how well IAG, the parents of British Airways, Iberian Aer Lingus, is doing. Uh, well, it, it came in at 18% uh, for that period. Uh, other large European airline companies, uh, uh, less, and uh, you get down to Norwegian, let's say, which you know grabs a lot of the global headlines, they were just 6% for the period. So uh, yeah, no shame at all in that 20% for EasyJet for that period. Of course, Ryan, Wiz, and Easy are all low-cost carriers, but they do have fairly different strategies. Real quick, Seth, can you explain the differences between those strategies? And well, here's the tough part. Which strategy do you have the most faith in? You know, and there's been some convergence, but generally speaking, uh, Ryan and Wiz really just optimize for cost. Uh, As I said, it's been changing, especially when you look at Ryanair, accepting now certain costs and complexities and getting into more of the primary airports. Um, But generally speaking, EasyJet was always willing to pay a premium, uh, accept some higher airport costs, uh, deal with with getting those scarce slots in exchange uh, for the higher revenues that come with being more of a, a corporate uh, travel focused airline, uh, whereas Ryanair, uh, you know, n- never saw a cost it, it, it liked. Um, and so, you know, for a number of years now, if you, if you just talk to people who travel on business in Europe, you know, they're perfectly happy to fly e- EasyJet. They see it as, you know, kind of basic but acceptable. Whereas up until a few years ago, 
uh, they wouldn't go near Ryanair. Uh, as, as I said, that's changing, but uh, you know, still, Ryanair is the lower cost uh, carrier of those two. Wizz Air, uh, very much in that ultra low cost carrier mode. Uh, you know, backed by Indigo Partners, the same firm that turned Spirit around, and it's now you know backing Frontiers, very successful uh, transformation to an ultra LCC. So, uh, was a lot smaller than Ryanair or, or even EasyJet for that matter. But uh, you know, those two are clearly ultra LCCs. Uh, EasyJet is not. Yes, me, which I have the most faith in. Uh, you know, if, if I had to pick, I mean, it's it's. I guess you go with with where the results are. Uh, uh, you know, not just the fact that Ryanair and Wizz Air are generally the the more profitable airlines compared to EasyJet, but just you look around the world, uh, that model, uh, you know, notwithstanding some recent stumbles in, in North America in particular, uh, some convergence there. You know, the, the sort of the fuller service uh, airlines nipping at the heels of the ultra LCCs. Notwithstanding that. Look around the world, ultra LCCs. Uh, you know, if I had to start an airline, I uh, that'd probably be the model I'd pick. Maybe not if I had to fly an airline, but if I but if I had to uh, uh, start an airline, uh, you know, banking on financial success, yeah, um, that that would be the one. But um, it was when EasyJet was kind of nipping at Ryanair's heels for a while there that Ryanair really saw the value in in broadening its appeal and saying, yeah, you know, we're not gonna ever become fancy. Um, but maybe we can do some things to appeal uh, to corporate travelers, some things that aren't too expensive, but uh, uh, could sort of uh, you know get us get them into the into that game, which which they really uh, ha- hadn't previously been paying. So uh, you know, credit to EasyJet for uh, for for sort of forcing uh, Ryanair a little bit out of out of its lane, so to speak, and then getting into that uh, that that different and more complex game. Easy is making some bold moves in Germany. It's closing its Hamburg base and ramping up at Berlin's Tegel Airport in the wake of Air Berlin's departure. Is this a natural fit to their strategy? Yeah, I mean they've always been happy to to uh, you know to go anywhere in Europe where, where they see opportunity. Uh, they are a, a more UK focused airline than, uh, than than the others, uh, you know, than than Ryanair or, or Wiz, but um, uh, but 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 still, you know, plenty of their capacity is outside the UK. Uh, you know, flying between points that, that don't touch the UK at all. Uh, that'll remain the case even after Brexit, regardless of, of what happens there. They're gonna have to do some uh, some some fancy regulatory foot footwork, including starting a new airline unit in in Austria to pull it off. But uh, um, but but you know, they're still gonna be flying uh, those kinds of markets. Uh, yeah, Berlin. Look, it, it's always been this this high volume, low yield market. You know, it's a place a lot of people want to go to visit. Uh, it's a huge local market. A lot of people there. Um, but 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 you know economically relatively weak uh and, and so um uh you know just a perfect place for for a uh for for a, a low-cost carrier uh to to thrive and you're right they've uh rushed in their uh ryanair's over at schoenfeld airport um you know everybody's kind of waiting to see if there's ever going to be uh the, the new airport that it's built but <laughs> they're not allowed to to open it uh but in the meantime yeah it's it's really easy jet that's rushed into uh to uh, not only EasyJet, but but they as enthusiastically as as, as anybody to uh, fill the, the void left by Air Berlin's departure. EasyJet is undergoing a fleet renewal that sounds to me like it could help the airline find another gear. Is that your expectation? And how big of a deal is this? Yeah, you know they uh well I was going to say started life. They didn't start life with with uh, with a three nineteens, which which they you know predominantly uh, flown recently. They start start life with old 
the old generation Boeing 37-37s. But uh, yeah, for the past bunch of years, it had been A319s. Um, now uh, they've moved into A320s and, and looking forward to A321neos. And so the significance there is that, you know, 319s are, are rather uh, small planes. Now, uh, smaller planes give you some flexibility to go into uh, in, in, into markets where you might feel that something else is is too big a plane, but um, they carry higher unit costs. Uh, you know, we've talked about it before, but uh, generally, you know, generally speaking, you fly a smaller airplane. You know, you're still paying the same two pilots. Uh, your fuel costs might be a little lower than a bigger plane, but they're not a lot lower, uh, and and so forth. Um, you know, a lot a lot of airport costs, not all, but a lot are, are related to uh, just you know, just using the gate, regardless how big the plane is, that sort of thing. So um, when you don't get to spread those costs among as many passengers, uh, your unit costs are higher and your total revenues on the flight tend to be lower because you don't have as many seats to sell. Uh, so as you push into those uh, into, into those bigger planes, your total revenues can go up, even if your unit revenues go down a little bit because the the, the last few passengers on average, pay less uh, than, than everybody else. Uh, and your unit costs tend to go down a lot. So uh, for, from a cost perspective, EasyJet for a long time uh, was was really operating with with a hand tied behind its back. Uh, they put what, I think it's 100, oh, off the top of my head, 154 or something people on, on a 319 compared to you know 189 uh, seats on a Ryanair 737-800. And I'll assume be more with the, with the Max 200s. Uh, so, um, so this really, uh, gets them in, into, into that game of just, just hammering down, uh, unit cost and, and yeah, uh, you know, that's been a big theme all around the world, upgaging airlines, getting into, um, you know, bigger and bigger airplanes, uh, finding that the unit cost benefit of doing that, uh, outweighs the, the unit revenue penalty, so to speak, and uh, no reason to think it won't be uh, generally successful at, at, at EasyJet too. Which, uh, you know, in, in the meantime, we'll still have those three nineteens to play with to go into those those more more marginal markets. And lastly, uh, Wizz Air is building up at London's Luton Airport. This has to be concerning for EasyJet. Are we going to see a battle royale in London? You no, know, um, not mostly because Wizz Air. You're right. Look, they're huge um, uh, at, at Luton. That's their biggest base, by the way. You know, this is an Eastern European airline, but their biggest base of all is is is, is in London. Um, but when you when you look at when you look at what they do there. I mean, it's really carrying people between there and Eastern Europe, Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, you know, a lot of migrant type of traffic, people who you know might be working in London uh, during the week, but whose families are 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 uh, uh, back in places like uh, Bratislava and Tallinn. Those are two new markets, by the way. You're going to be flying from uh, from Luton soon. Uh, you know, not to mention the ones that they've long served in 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 Poland, uh, places like that. So, um, y- you know, whereas EasyJet, more of their flying tends to be uh, shorter haul flying into into uh, uh, Western Europe, uh, but not all of it. And and so uh, so yeah, look, as these airlines grow, I mean, they're they're going to bump into each other more. They're going to step on each other's toes more. Um, but uh, generally speaking, you know, Wizz Air's core markets from Luton. Uh, don't tend to be the same one as, as uh, the same ones as, as EasyJet was 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 air much more of a, a central and Eastern European flying specialist. Okay, speaking of airport battles, we are certainly seeing one between JetBlue and Delta in Boston, and it's a bit reminiscent of the battle for Seattle between Delta and Alaska. 
And that got and that got me thinking uh, that we tend to view these airport wars as very negative situations. But correct me if I'm wrong. In both cases, both airlines are doing really well at each airport. Is that true? And what does it mean? Well, you know, you never really know how an airline is is doing at an airport in the sense that they don't, you know, they don't break out the profits and 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 losses uh, on a market by market basis. And look, you know, for a while when Delta was rapidly building up Seattle, they were kind of oh, we're doing great there, and and you know, you knew that they were probably doing less well than they were than they were saying. It's just that Delta is a very successful airline overall, and and you know can afford to be patient and, and let a market develop. Um, and uh, you know that 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 was that that was the the message they were trying to send to Alaska is you know we're we're in this for the long haul, uh, like I mean literally in that case also because part of the, a lot of it had to do with uh, with long haul flights to Asia, and and, and elsewhere, but uh, but but for the long term as well. Um, and uh, so you know look, um, uh, you know Boston too. Of course, Delta's going to say oh it's going great. Um, but uh, look it it it. it as far as Alaska and JetBlue, um, because they're smaller airlines, uh, and because Alaska, uh, you know, could not possibly be highly profitable without Seattle doing well, because Seattle is its biggest base, you know, and because JetBlue could not possibly be, um, you know, solidly profitable uh, if if, uh, if if Boston wasn't doing well, uh, because Boston is, is is one of its biggest bases and, and one that JetBlue uh, says is doing very well. Um, you can definitely believe them uh, when they say that, that, that they're doing fine, uh, that they're really withstanding what, what Delta has done there. Uh, look, it, it, even setting aside Delta and, and even those other airlines, there, there are other similarities between Boston and Seattle, sort of these, uh, uh, these, these markets at the corners of the country, you know, not good for domestic connections necessarily, but, but well positioned for certain long haul itineraries, um, and, and places with very good local economies. And, and, and I think that's a key, uh, to why those markets have managed to absorb all, uh, all that growth, uh, you know, and and um, sort of these, uh, the, you know, Delta ramping up the, the these these battles against um, against Alaska and JetBlue, uh, it, it demand has just been surging uh, in in those places. Um, you know, Seattle's economy has just really been red hot for a while here. Um, Boston too, just just uh, diversified and strong. I mean, coastal economies in general have done well. A lot a lot of tech there. Uh, you know, let's see what Amazon picks uh, for its second headquarters. Boston certainly in the ru- certainly in the running there, and so I think that has helped to mitigate things. I think had these been you know markets without uh, a lot of demand growth uh, for travel, and all of a sudden you had all this new supply, it would have been more uh, more of a problem. But it you know it, it has just kind of turned out that there's there's plenty of biz- business to go around. Um, and, uh, you know, how well is Delta doing those places? Hard to say. It, it's, it's always tough for, for an airline with the smaller hub, uh, at, 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 at an airport. Delta is a giant airline, but, but smaller at those places than those other airlines. Always tough, uh, especially when you're the higher cost airline. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think those are the places that are driving Delta's profits. Um, but I think things are, uh, are, are, are tolerable, at least for them, uh, especially just considering how good those markets are. South America continues to recover from Brazil's economic troubles, and the progress is showing up in the earnings of the region's airlines. Latam reported third quarter results, and they achieved a 9% operating margin. That sounds just okay, but how encouraging is this? Actually quite encouraging, because they're turning the corner here. Look, they 
uh, well, Latam is uh, you know the fusion of of pre merger, Lan, uh, you know based in Chile but with units uh, the all, all over the place um, throughout South America and, and Tom uh, in in Brazil and um, you know it, it seemed in some ways like like a match made in heaven the, the, you know you had this this highly profitable Lan and a, and, a, and a rather profitable Tom uh, you know but but a you know, an airline with a great position and in, in, in the in, in in the biggest, uh, by far the biggest uh, uh, national economy in that part of the world. Um, but then, of course, um, uh, you, know, you you had the the, the economic troubles uh, really throughout the region, but especially Brazil, uh, j- just just a complete mess. And so, uh, so instead of you know uh, one plus one equals three, you know, which is what you hope for in a merger, it kind of looked like uh, one plus one equals one point five. Or something like that, because um, you know it. It uh, the combined company just hasn't ha- hasn't done well, generally speaking, uh, since they merged a uh, you know, half decade or so ago. But uh, but no, that nine percent um, that's the best they've done since the merger. Uh, you, you know, significantly up from six uh, percent in the same quarter last year. It was five percent the year before that. Um, and, and so uh, a, a, a very good sign for them uh, that, uh, you know, hey, better late than never. Uh, you know, the murder kind of hadn't yet really fulfilled its 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 promise, you know, even if for reasons beyond their control. Uh, and now maybe belatedly, uh, you know, you'll, they'll really have something to show for all the work they put into uh, putting those two companies together. We're also seeing some new airlines enter the markets down there. How much of a threat are they to LATAM? Well, it's 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 competition, right? Um, part of why they've done well is their strong position in markets, and to the extent that anybody erodes that or just kind of throws capacity at you, it, it, it uh, could be some kind of an impact. Um, uh, and, and we're talking about you know there's there's uh, JetSmart, the, the new ultra low cost carrier. We talked before about the uh, uh, the success of those, and and sure enough, this one is uh, uh, is backed by Indigo Partners, that, that same company that. That's you know behind Wizz Air and so many other uh, successful ones. So that's some some serious competition there. Probably you, know, you might say the most serious competition they've they've uh, they've faced in 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 the Chilean market. Uh, you know the Viva Group is in Peru uh, now. You know they're in, they're in Colombia. Um, Copa uh, has its own ultra low cost unit, Wingo. Um, and Norwegian is is uh, not only planning to fly to Argentina but planning domestic service within Argentina. You know, how are they going to do? I'm not too optimistic, but that's capacity in the market, um, you know, competition. So uh, yeah, Latam is going to have to deal with all that. You know, it, it uh, you know, as I said before, Lan was always a, a highly, highly successful airline. Um, you know, Tama, the, the reasonably successful, no reason to think they can't uh, withstand the, the, these rather small uh, upstart carriers. Uh, but I'm, um, Sure, they'd prefer they didn't exist. Avianca also fared well in its third quarter, but they did so despite some scary headlines. There was Venezuela and there was a pilot strike. Yeah, uh, the, the pilot strike that uh, seemed rather disruptive, but really they, they managed to operate about 80% of their flights. And in fact, they said that the the benefit of the strike is that it sort of forced them to sharpen their focus and, and operate more uh, more efficiently, um, and uh, yeah, sure enough, they they uh, they still managed to do rather well, uh, and and you know they're still forecasting the same full year operating margin of between seven percent and nine percent. That's what they were forecasting before, uh, 
the the strike. So uh, not too much of an impact there. Yeah, remarkable. You mentioned that they're not flying to uh, Venezuela anymore. Um, and, and think about that. Colombia is right next door to Venezuela. And at this point, they don't have a single seat going there. Uh, now, look, it's Venezuela is a complete mess. Um, but that just tells you the kind of impact that it has on on uh, on everybody when an airline that should be very well positioned uh, to serve that market uh, just kind of throws its hands up in the air and and uh, doesn't serve it at all anymore, which uh, I- indeed is the uh, is the case there. Avianca, though, uh, yeah, th- doing uh, doing rather well uh, c- considering um, everything that it's uh, uh, that it's facing. Uh, operating margin, by the way, for for that recently com- completed quarter, that uh, third quarter, ten percent uh, would have been something like eleven percent without the strike. All right, enough about airlines. Let's talk about airports. And let's do something we haven't done in a very long time. dun dun a lightning round. In the current issue of Airline Weekly, we listed 99 airports ranked by growth since 2010 as measured by available seat miles. So in other words, which airports have grown the most in the current decade? Don't worry, we won't go through all 99, but I picked out some of the more, shall we say, fun ones. I'll provide the airport and the ranking, and Seth, your job is is to tell us the story behind the numbers, preferably in a lightning-fast manner. So, the first one, let's start with dead last, number 99, Tokyo Narita, negative 8% growth since 2010. Yeah, the answer there is actually seen in the number 18 out of 99 column. That's Tokyo Haneda with 115% uh, growth in, in available seat miles. Basically, you know, Haneda got a lot of new capacity and regulatory changes. You can now fly long haul from there. And I want to emphasize something you said, Jason. You said growth in available seat miles. So we did this ranking not by um, the, the most traditional ways to rank airports, which would be either passengers carried uh, or maybe the number of seats scheduled at, at an airport, which from an airport perspective is, is generally what, what, they, uh, what they look like. Because, uh, you know, once the plane catches, pushes back, uh, it's not too important from an airport economics perspective where, where the flight is going. Um, airlines tend to look at ASMs or ASKs, available seat miles or available seat kilometers. But in this case, we looked at the airports uh, by that ranking because it's kind of interesting to see uh, which ones, you know, where you have long haul flights. And, and you know, so the difference here, you're taking into account not just the number of seats, but also the distance that those seats are flying. And so Haneda, uh, number one, you have you have uh, quite a few new seats with more capacity there. Uh, but then you also have those long haul flights that uh, now you can fly to a place like North America from Haneda, uh, Europe, which you couldn't do back in 2010. All right. Staying in the slow growth airports, number 94, Atlanta, just 10% growth. Yeah, it was already the biggest airport, uh, busiest airport in the world by the traditional measures. Uh, anyway, actually not. It's not number one by, uh, by uh, this measure. Number one. So talking not not growth right now, but just number one total by this measure of, of available seat miles uh, is actually Dubai. Uh, no surprise when you know, it has a lot of seats and those seats fly really, really far. Right. Uh, but Atlanta. Yeah. So, uh, you know, still obviously a very busy airport, but already mature and not one that has seen um, a lot of new long haul flying. Uh, it's you know, it sort of has its core long haul markets and then just a whole lot of short haul uh, feeding long haul, very, very successful hub, uh, for Delta, but, 
uh, not a high growth hub, uh, particularly when you're looking at uh, at ASMs, looking at distance. Uh, number 96 is Johannesburg, 2% growth. Yeah, uh, South Africa's economy generally hasn't uh, hasn't done particularly well. Weak currency that hurts uh, that hurts local demand, um, and uh, you know it's 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 a place where well the the big national carrier is is suffering. It's it's smaller now. Uh, gosh, high single digits smaller now uh, than it was seven years ago. Uh, so you look around the world, right? All things being equal, most airlines have you know, maybe grown a little, maybe grown a lot. Uh, South African Airways, no uh, smaller than back then. So when you're the biggest airline at an airport and you're shrinking, that's not going to be good news for uh, for the the airport. Um, and, and you have a few other local carriers that are, that are now gone, even as... Um, uh, uh, you know, others have you know, Kalula, the, the local LCC, and and uh, the, the the British Airways branded uh, Comair affiliate. You know, they're they're doing very well. Um, but a, a lot of airlines around the world um, ha- have have left the market. Uh, looking here at the DO um, schedule data, you know, Thai Airways uh, is gone. Uh, uh, Jet Airways. Um, uh, from you know, India, they're gone. Uh, Malaysia Airlines. I mean, obviously, that's you know they, they've 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 had issues that have nothing to do with uh, South Africa. Uh, you know, the airline is restructured and shrunk, but you know they're gone. Others too. Uh, so yeah, just just a market that um, uh, hasn't benefited from a lot of sort of the growing interconnectivity uh, in the world. And and hey, let's face it, uh, hurt partly by the fact that. Uh, it, it has terrible geography for, well, I said interconnectivity. What about airline connections? You know, it, it's, it's not Dubai or, or someplace like that when it comes to, uh, to facilitating, uh, 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 the connections all the way at the Southern tip of South America or of South America of Africa. Number 86 is Madrid at just 19% growth. Yeah. And, and, uh, that's one where, again, the, the, the big airline there, Iberia, uh, in its case now, a, a, a rather successful airline, but part of how it got there um, was by shrinking uh, you know, and, and, and restructuring. So uh, Iberia is smaller now uh, than it back, was back in 2010. Uh, Spanair was a major airline in Spain, um, you know, based up in Barcelona, yeah, but uh, but um, a major presence at Madrid, it's gone. Um, EasyJet actually has quietly, we talked before about, you know, places where they built up, but they've shrunk their presence significantly, uh, in, in Madrid. Um, and although Ryanair is now there at, at, at Madrid, uh, as it pushes into more primary airports, like we said earlier, uh, Ryanair's additions haven't nearly canceled out the subtractions by EasyJet, even Voiling, uh, now a unit of IAG, not the case back in 2010. Um, you know, Barcelona has always been its focus. Uh, it's actually now smaller in Madrid uh, than it was back then. Now, obviously, you said 19% growth. I mean, there are a lot of airlines, other airlines have grown there, but um, but everything I just said has sort of uh, weighed uh, down the overall performance of, of, of the airport. This next one was the subject of this week's cover story in Airline Weekly. Number 67, Vienna, with 35% growth. Yeah, uh, and that one weighed down 
uh, you know, 35% growth, not, not awful, obviously, but weighed down by um, the, the disappearance of, of Air Berlin and uh, including its subsidiary, Nikki, which is still flying, um, but, but is a lot smaller than it was. So um, even before, I mean, here we're looking at all of 2017, so of course, Air Berlin just stopped flying, but it was already uh, in the process of shrinking. And, and, and of course, now being completely gone from the schedule here for the last uh, you know, month and a half of, of, uh, of the year, that's uh, going to weigh down an airport where it had a, a major presence. All right, let's move into the faster growth airports. Uh, this next one isn't actually all that fast, just barely in the top half at number 43. But this is the fastest growing U.S. airport. Fort Lauderdale at sixty-two percent growth. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, uh, remember again, we're talking here about ASMs, right? So we're we're ta- we're taking into account distance. Now, even if we weren't doing that, there's been all kinds of new growth at Fort Lauderdale. I mean, look, it has a second runway. I mean, it's twice as many runways as it used to have. Uh, it has new terminal facilities. Um, you've got uh, all the major USLC- ULCCs uh, have have have. Uh, have really taken to Fort Lauderdale. I mean, Frontier is focused elsewhere, but you know, Spirit's grown, Allegiance has grown a lot. Uh, the 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 fuller service LCCs, you know, Southwest and and, and JetBlue, uh, growing like crazy there. But then when you take into account distance too, uh, Jason, you know, again looking here, at Dio, uh, if you go back seven years, um, do you know how many flights there were at Fort Lauderdale, uh, long haul flights? Let's call it uh, 3,500 mile or more flights uh, from from Fort Lauderdale uh, this week, seven years ago. Can I take a guess? Why don't you just tell me? Zero. Um, there, there, wa- there was no long haul flying at Fort Lauderdale. I think before that, you probably had to go back to this just for memory. You probably have to go back to Zoom, uh, which was a low cost long haul uh, airline that fell victim to well fell victim to the low cost long haul business model but also to uh to to the uh the surging fuel costs and uh and uh shaky global economy a little more than a decade ago but um but anyway so so yeah so uh so there was nothing long haul from Fort Lauderdale uh 7 years ago now there are flights to let's see uh Oslo uh do this for memory Oslo Stockholm uh Copenhagen uh London uh Paris Barcelona, and those are just the flights on Norwegian. <laughs> to speak nothing of Emirates to Dubai and Azul to uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to the Sao Paulo airport near Sao Paulo. Anyway, um, so it, it's it's uh, you know airport more dramatically than almost any other that has become uh, somewhat of a long haul focus. Even though uh, clearly the low cost short haul service will always be its its core market. All right, number 27, Bogota with 87% growth. Yeah, it, it's um uh you know it, it, it's it's a market that's grown. Um probably would be more by the way if it didn't have uh capacity constraints there. Um but yeah, you know we talked before about a uh, you know successful Avianca, a uh, lot low cost growth there. Um we mentioned also in in a different context, you know Viva Colombia um and uh and and others um so it's it's uh, uh reachable with narrow bodies from uh north america so guess what we were talking about just a minute ago fort lauderdale it's the kind of place if you're spirit or jet blue and so forth you can you can fly there from uh fort lauderdale and in even points beyond and and uh you know indeed uh they do so uh just kind of in the right place geographically economically 
despite what's going on next door in Venezuela. I want to finish with the top four, but let's just get number one out of the way because it's not really a, a true organic growth story. That's Bangkok's Damyong Airport, which has grown 2,200% since 2010. Explain that. Yeah, anytime you see a number that crooked, you know, there's probably something else going on, right? I mean, it's technically true, but in that case, uh, the airport almost didn't exist in 2010. Um, it had closed back when they opened the new primary airport uh, serving Bangkok, oh, what's a decade or so ago now? Uh, the idea was for everything to move over to the uh, the new airport, but airlines and passengers turned out actually like the old airport because it's uh, centrally located, it's more convenient to the uh, the center of the city, uh, and so authorities eventually let them open it again. I mean, part of it is there's just so much demand there to go around that they actually, you know, it turns out they kind of needed the capacity. I mean, the primary airport is going to be expanding again now um but uh but yeah so uh uh 22 to 2, 2, growth uh, nonetheless albeit for uh for for reasons that would prevent most airports uh from being able to grow by a rate like that number four is doha at 170 percent growth Qatar airways number three Zhengzhou at 194 percent yeah this one uh yeah, I, I went into to Dio here, pulled it up to the, try to see what explain what in particular explains it, and what explains it is that there's nothing in particular that explains it. It's it's uh, I I don't know that I've ever seen this. Uh, you know, of the dozens of airlines uh, serving the airport today, a hundred percent of them are bigger now uh, than they were back then. China Southern uh, accounts for the the uh the most growth uh of all but um uh but yeah it, it's uh uh literally nobody is down i mean usually you see an airline that's out of business or something by by the time you you know get to the later period but uh in this case it's just uh just growth uh all around uh for an airport that was a real backwater as as recently as the start of the decade and uh and now a huge growth there and uh you know a sizable airport just just uh in in uh in uh, absolute terms and finally that brings us to number two which is really the fastest growing airport so far this decade setting aside the bangkok anomaly and measuring by available seat miles istanbul's sabiha gokchen at 263 percent yeah, it's the the smaller airport serving Istanbul on the Asian side uh, of the city, the primary airport over over on the European side, uh, and and that's uh, primarily not only due to to the low cost carrier Pegasus. Airline, it's generally been very successful for most of its history. Uh, ran across some really hard times here uh, in, in recent years as. Really, as did anybody serving uh, serving Turkey, but uh, you know appears to be turning the corner again, uh, back on its feet. Uh, and, and in the meantime, Turkish Airlines actually ramped up its own capacity there, kind of as a, as a defensive measure, um, and and also because the main airport is just is just bursting at the seams and just very capacity constrained uh, in advance of, of Istanbul getting uh, finally here sometime soon a a an, an all new airport. So uh, so yeah. Uh, no surprise uh, in in a um uh in a an air in an economy that you know up until recently anyway with all the um uh, all the uh, security issues and so forth uh, economy that was doing well a tourism market that was doing well uh and and still a growth story uh albeit uh, 
a bit less of one than than uh, than was the case a couple of years ago. And with that, another lightning round is complete in probably just uh, fourteen minutes. <laughs> Thinking. I'm thinking we should come up with a new name for our yeah, lightning seriously. round. Yeah, if, if we can't, if, if you can't, if you can't, uh, can't raise the bridge, just try lowering the water, right? Right. <laughs> and with that, the this episode is complete. Thanks for spending some time with us. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell, and this is the Airline Weekly Lounge. 